0: Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you could join us today, and I'm so glad that those of you who are joining us online can be with us. I'm so glad for the technology that lets us share our Sunday morning together. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel, and I'm excited about our Advent series. I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning, and I'm just so glad that we get to. Do this. You know, as Justina, this, this is cutting in and out. As Justina was mentioning, it's been on all in the, all our minds this week in the office that uh, Christmas isn't something that we've been able to share the last couple of years. So we're just really glad to be here. Let's, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the word for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the season of Christmas. Lord, open our hearts today. Open our minds today to receive from you. Help us to meet you. Help us to encounter you. To come away different for having read from your word. Speak to us in the the way that only your spirit can. In your name we pray, amen. So we're in the season of Advent. This is the season leading up to Christmas. It's the four weeks prior to Christmas leading directly up. And Advent is a season of anticipation. It is a season where we remember how God's people waited for Messiah, how they anticipated his arrival, and that as they waited... God slowly revealed different things that they could be looking for, actions and roles that Messiah would fill when he came so that they would recognize him when he did. The Bible begins with the story of creation of the world and the fall of humanity. Humans disobey God, and so sin enters into the world, and this sin separates them from God and from the life that he wanted for us. As God is telling the first humans what the consequences of this action will be, he also speaks to the serpent, to the one who tempted them. And he speaks these words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he, he singular, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is referred to as the proto-evangelion. There's a word for you to look smart with at lunch. The proto this is the first time that the gospel is spoken. This is the first promise of the coming Christ. And even here at the beginning of the story, God is promising one who will come and defeat the enemy. The promise of a coming one who would take away our sin. And this promise is continued throughout the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, chapter, or, Isaiah 53 verse 5, We read these words, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now this is good news, that Messiah would be Savior. Every day we sense our own separation from God. We sense our lostness, that there is this good life, and that something lies between us and it. And if only we could climb over or under or around or through whatever this obstacle is, then maybe we could live the way that we were always intended. And that's a sentiment that you'll see all over the place. We know this intuitively. We were meant for more. But God tells us that this thing that ho- that's holding us back, it's not something external. It's not a system of oppression. It's not a geographic location. It's not a skin color or a lack of resources. Because the life we were intended for isn't defined by those things either. The life that we were designed for, to live in fellowship with God and with one another, to be good and kind and to care for one another and our world, that doesn't come about by any of the means that we use every day to try to fight It comes only from the changing of human hearts. The problem is us. It's our hearts. It's our sin. It's our desire to be first and to have it all, and we can't fight that on our own. We are separated from God, separated from the source of goodness and love and justice, destined for deserved destruction because of the evil that we have done. But God sent his Son into the world so that whoever believes in him would not but have eternal life. And after all the waiting, God finally revealed who this chosen individual would be, who would save us from our sin. Jesus is our savior. He is the one that we have waited for. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus says these words, for the son of man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus accomplished this by his death on the cross and when God raised him from the dead. We could spend an entire other message speaking about this, or we could just sit down and read Paul's entire letter to the Romans. But here's the point. This is good news for you and for me. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, we read these, we read these words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The early church knew this as their most essential tenet that they clung to above all else. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If we call upon his name in faith, then our past deeds are wiped away and we can live like God always intended us in power and love as we turn from our sin. Messiah wasn't only anticipated to be savior. He was also anticipated to be a judge. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, we read, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice." He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Notice all of the words about bringing justice. The servant, Messiah, is going to be the one doing this. And this is a role that Messiah shares strongly with God the Father. In fact, this is one of the things that got Jesus in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. Because in the Old Testament, it is God who is the judge. And we certainly don't deny that. Psalm 75 verse 7 reads, God is the one who judges. Abraham, um, I didn't write this reference down, Abraham refers to God as the judge of all the earth. In Isaiah 66, 16, we read, For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be those slain by the Lord. This is summarized in the Old Testament in the idea of the day, the day of the Lord. This is a day prophesied in the Old Testament, coming up first in Isaiah. Isaiah is the first one to use that phrase. And then featuring especially in a lot of the minor prophets. That's the small books from Hosea to Malachi, that right at the end of the Old Testament, just in case you're not up on your Bible book order. The day of the Lord is this great and final day, the great and final day when God will judge the nations, when things will be put right when evil is defeated but then something interesting happens in the gospels jesus declares that he is the one who will be judging the nations in john 9 verse 39 jesus said for judgment i have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind and in matthew 25 we read a parable that is well known but think about it in this context I'm going to read you the parable, but think about this in that context. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the goats from the sheep. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Let's do this. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's all pretty par for the course, right? That's the Jesus that we know and love, the Jesus who wants us to care for people and who rewards those who do good. But there's another side to that coin, The story isn't over. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for his devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So I hope you can see it there. God is the one who's supposed to be judging, but it is Jesus who is sitting on that throne. Jesus is judging. Jesus is separating the people and the nations, the entire world. Jesus is the one judging everything. This is very surprising. This is part of why Jesus gets charged with blasphemy by the religious leaders, Jesus is putting himself in the role that the prophets and the Psalms and all of the Old Testament ascribes to God alone. I regularly have to roll my eyes whenever I come across this claim that Jesus never said he was God. While it's true that Jesus never said those words, Jesus made quite clear claims to be God if you know what you're looking at. So Jesus, the Messiah that we've been waiting for is not only Savior but Judge. And that sounds pretty scary. But I'm here to tell you today that that is good news. When God finally judges the world, this will be a good thing. Look at this verse from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 2, verse 4. He will judge between the nations, right? Judgment. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. So what does the judgment of God mean? It means the end of war. It means the settling, the righteous settling of all the disputes. The prophet Micah takes up these very same words and expands on them, adding to the vision of what the world will be like. And Micah chapter 4, verse 4 picks up exactly where Isaiah 2 left off, Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. This isn't only a vision of peace, this is a vision of prosperity. When God judges, it is a good thing. The world is set right, injustices are removed, the wrongs are righted, and what has been taken is restored. And that's a good thing. Amen? Yeah, amen. But here's the part where we struggle. Judgment involves God's wrath upon evil. Have you read the book of Revelation lately? That is a hard book. Plagues, earthquakes, famine, war. Revelation has it all. It is God's wrath poured out upon an unrepentant world in one last attempt to get the people to turn away from their sin I think sometimes we forget who God really is. Our reaction to wrath is basically, yuck, right? Like, I I don't like talking about wrath. I imagine you don't like hearing about wrath. We don't like it. We chafe under it. We think, what? Do you want us to be afraid of God? And the answer from the scripture is yes. Yes. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 97 uses some wonderfully evocative language, but it is not speaking of God in, shall we say, friendly terms. Psalm 97 The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice. Are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. Jesus Himself says something very similar in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Right? Speaking of the religious leaders and the military powers of the day, don't be afraid of them. They can kill your body. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, one, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is saying there, there is an aspect of rightness to being afraid of God. God is not a cosmic teddy bear that we cling to in the dark to make us feel better. God is love, yes, but God is also justice. God is holy. God is good, and he cannot abide evil. And yet, the book of Revelation, for all of its terror and wrath, is punctuated by all kinds of expressions of worship for God expressions of God's holiness, of His goodness, of His justice. We read some of them this morning already. And the problem is that we don't think that we are that bad. We don't think that we deserve that judgment, and we want to think that the people around us don't deserve it either. Oh, sure, people who've committed some great evil deserve it. We love God's judgment when it's being turned on the warmongers or the child abusers or, for a blanket term, the wicked, right? I'm sure you can think about at least probably a handful, if I asked you, some people in the world right now that you would love to see God's wrath poured out upon. I'm sure you could. Nod. Admit it. Come on. One. We got one name. Yeah, you got one name. But that's the issue. We don't think that we're as bad even as those people. We fail to recognize that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans three says. We fail to recognize the great evil that we commit in our daily indulgences because we lack the perspective that God has. Even if it may be true that there are others far more evil than us, I hope so, that doesn't validate our own evil actions. But we all just agree when God judges, we all just agree that when God judges, it's a good thing. Right? You guys all said amen to that. We are looking forward to the day when God judges the world. And I mean judges in a complete sense. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that the prince of this world already stands condemned. But on that last day, Jesus will bang the celestial gavel and it won't just be conviction. It'll be sentencing. That's a whole lot of revelation, too. That God pours his wrath upon evil and that that is good news. So as we move toward Christmas, we anticipate Jesus' return. We remember how he was anticipated as Savior and as Judge. Next week, we'll be talking about how Jesus was anticipated as prophet. These roles have already begun to be fulfilled, but they will be completed when he returns in power. And then we won't only be saved, we will be sanctified. Then the evil in the world will not only be convicted, but sentenced. We look forward to this day. And in love, we call those around us to be light and to turn from evil. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes your word is hard. Sometimes we have to struggle with things that aren't comfortable. We have to struggle with parts of you that some days we'd rather not acknowledge. But Lord, we recognize that you are much bigger than we anticipate. We didn't make you up. You made us up. We don't wrap our minds around you, God. You wrap your mind around us. Because you are the great God. We stand in submission, but we also stand in love and worship. Lord, we look forward to the day when you will bring evil to an end. We look forward to a day when good will rule in this world, when you will have your way in all things. Lord, we pray that you would speed that day. And Lord, we thank you for the provision made by your Son. We recognize that we are part of the evil of the world and that if it wasn't for you, we would stand just as condemned. Lord God, we pray that you would be convicting the souls who are listening today. That your spirit would be going forth to call those people to you. That your arms are open, that you are ready to receive. Lord, we thank you for your great love. That it is your desire to save. That your, your desire that all would be saved. Lord, we pray that we would fall at your feet today.